everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drive on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes. Make sure the levels fall from low. I got the girls shining oh so bright. Hi, John. What's happening? Hi, Tex. Hello. Whoa. Whoa, what was that? None of your business. That was not a slack. No one's slacking us. Um, nothing to worry about. I think that maybe now's a good time to have a, a record an episode of Power Athlete Radio. What do you guys think? I think it'd be great. Let's do a Power uh, I why mean, we we're, do, we're here. Why don't we do episode 406 of Power Athlete Radio? Huh. Hmm. That's a good idea. Since when did you start showing up to these things? <laughs> <laughs> John Wellborn, friend of the podcast? Yeah, well, you know, you keep booking it on my calendar and I keep trying to avoid it, but, you know, I never accept, but I, I still know. show up. I mean, we record it. It's for listeners trying to get John out of bed by 10 o'clock to come to a podcast. You know, Tex and I usually show up to the office around what, 4, 4 a.m.? 4 a.m., Tex? Well, I sleep here. <laughs> <laughs> what? You've been. Well, we I have get, a shower. Since when? We have a shower. Yeah. yeah. And air conditioning? Can I sleep here? Uh, yeah, I'll fix the loft. Got and a, I'll, I'll put bunk beds in. Got a pool, pool, pond. pond pond's pond's good for you. Good for you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. It's time. It's time to bring forth the rhythm of the rhyme. We have another crew episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. Zero. Zero. That's right, people. You know, we take these crew episodes to solve your problems because that's what we do. We're problem solvers. Would you concur, Tex? I concur. Now, we've also been known to create a few problems, but that's what's I makes concur. life so fun. <laughs> well, it's like you can't just always, you know, go to a restaurant and eat. Sometimes you gotta cook too. So you gotta make the problems, you gotta yeah, you know, dissect yeah. them as well. You know, and listen, we are here to help. And that's why we have set up the Power Athlete Helpline. That's it's a helpline. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's not it's uh it's not, it's not a well then TC will call us every day and have an emotional <laughs> breakdown. He's like, This is Fig from Newton. Uh, He's already doing that. The um, so that's why are it's those a help tears? Because that's why people are calling now. They they just need a little. They need to get pump a little air in their tires. You know, ah. that's that's what they need. We're it's, life bouncers. Yeah, that's what that's what we're doing. We're here. We're here to help. Hugs we're, and love. We're life bouncers at the. We're we're bouncers at the strip club of life. That's right. You know, you're there to have a good time. You might have a few drinks. We're gonna bounce you out the door and send you home on your way. And you get to enjoy the show as well. Right? Am I wrong? Do you concur? I concur. That's right, people. If you need help, <laughs> call us. 929-464-4640. We will come. We'll help you move your furniture. We can help you balance your books. Uh, what else do we do, John? Uh, we make a really good steak. That's right. We can grill up a steak for you. Maybe even overcook a turkey. I've done that multiple times. Yeah, no, I've... I've... Um, we could do these things for you. Call us and let us know, or we'll answer your questions on training, health, nutrition, longevity, family, pets. We're getting to it. Cars, trucks, travel. I don't know. What, else, what do you want to know? What, do you, what are you seeking advice on? We're here for you. 929-464-4640. Call us, text us, leave us a message. It's 929-ING-ING. Zero. That's right. Today... We got to go to the hotline and text. I'm going to be asking you to just stall for me for a little bit while I find right now? this. Yep. Yeah, yes. Yeah, oh, right okay. Now. Uh, you know, I, I know we're not going to necessarily um, go into depth on Tim Wacker's question about what motor he should put in his um, F100 uh, pickup. But as I was kind of ruminating on that, um, first of all, I respect going back in time and trying to relive your prior youth. But uh, first of all, driving a Ford, bad so, idea. So hang on, hang on. Is this like a lightning round? No, I, I, can... I was just going to, while while I was waiting for you, I was just going to drop Tim a little knowledge. Well, why don't we just play Tim's voicemail and then you answer it in five minutes? Okay, let's all do right. it. So continue to stall while I not find that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, we'll wait on Tim Wacker. All right, well. Can you hum, hum the uh, theme to Jeopardy? All right, here's Tim Wacker for a lightning round. Ready, John? Yep. Hey, Pat, this is Tim Wacker. I got a truck question for you. I got a 1965 Ford F100 short bid that I bought last year because I bought one when I was 15 and had it for about 15 years, so this came available. 
and I bought it. It's got a 240 straight six that needs to be rebuilt. And so my options are to just rebuild the 240 straight six, or I could, uh, it's the same block and, and head as a 300, so I could just change, change the guts inside to a 300, which would be the same truck that I had in high school. Um, or I could, my coworkers are trying to convince me to put like a V8, like a 302 or something in there, because there's more um, available performance parts and whatnot. Uh, task for the truck is treat it like a truck. Dump runs, uh, daily driver to work when the weather's nicer because I live up in Washington and it's only two-wheel drive and uh, whatnot. So what would you do? Would you uh, just rebuild the 240? Rebuild the 240 to a 300, stroke it out a little bit, or drop in a, a V8 of some sort and uh, uh, for cruising and, and have to rejoin the rear end and stuff for that. But anyways, so um, just curious what you guys would do. Thanks, bye. And then he follows up to let us know that it's all original. Nothing's yeah. been... No, yeah, nothing's been played with. Mm-hmm. Uh, my recommendation is to yank the motor out, pull the transmission, pull the motor, and put in some form of small block V8. Personally, I would run a 351. I'm not a huge 302 fan, but if you if a 302 is readily available, they run a ton of Mustangs and they have cams and performance. You could do aluminum heads. I would pull the original drivetrain and put it on the side. If you ever wanted to sell the truck, you could sell with the original, but I think you would have a lot more fun with the V8. Uh, I've driven straight sixes, and while they are pretty torquey, uh, they don't get out of your way very fast. So um, for a fun car that you are going to drive and have a good time, it's one, it's a lot of fun to have some horsepower, and two, it's a lot of fun to bang gears. So try to find a four-speed. I forget exactly what the top loader four-speed is that would be for that truck, but I would try to find a 302 or even a 351 if you could find Windsor. Um, and then that's a Ford nine inch rear end, I believe, which would be a quick change, which would just be easy to be a third member. So that's not very difficult. Uh, so I what just, is, what is like the implications on the cost of the, like the rebuilds or swaps? Like, is there a significant difference in what you're recommending? Here? I, uh, I just, I don't know. Um, I don't know what, the, what the parts on a Ford motor. Cause I tend to fucking avoid Fords like a uh, herpes on spring break, mm-hmm. but I know that avoid, yeah. avoid, uh, <laughs> I do know that building Ford motors are dramatically more expensive okay. because parts or performance upgrades are not as readily available as GM stuff. Like in a perfect world, he could go throw a you know seven hundred fifty dollar five three LS in it, and mm-hmm. you know that came to the transmission and get in and be into it for like fifteen hundred dollars and have something that puts out you know three hundred plus horsepower. Uh, but to want to keep like I understand the nostalgia and keeping a Ford and a Ford. I'm doing the same thing with my forty nine Mercury. Um, but personally, I would yank that tired old straight six and and the transmission. Um, he didn't mention whether or not it's a manual or an automatic, but I would look for something like a top loader four speed because it's a two wheel drive, which would be an easy deal. You wouldn't have to worry about two drive shafts, just one. I drop that in, and uh, you know, I mean, it's you don't have turbos, you don't have any of that other stuff. It just be a simple process. I guarantee. In five minutes, I could find motor mounts and a cross member and everything mm-hmm. for the bolt-in mm-hmm. parts, and then it's this easy swap on that Ford 9-inch. I just know that having a uh, um, a daily driver is a little bit different than like a weekend fun, and the one thing I've figured out with like weekend fun, having some horsepower and banging gears, it's it's really like the good time. Like I drive, uh, you know, and my Duramax has got an automatic, but like if I'm going out and I wanted to drive something on the weekend, I want to shift gears. Like I feel... Mm-hmm like a little bored cruising and not I, shifting gears. Yeah, yeah. I still to this day, so how long have I been out of that uh, that 98? Over a year. And when I back out, there's times I like I'm, I go for the stick, you yeah. know, and I, I swing and miss. The um, Well, on that fun time note, John, there's times that we've had a meeting or something downtown and then meet you here, and guess what? We're taking the Fall Guy truck, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. fuck, yeah. Yeah, and. Yeah. You're, yeah, you, the way you hammer it, I, I'm holding on for dear life in well, there. That's why it's she, fun. Well, it has a roll bar, mm-hmm. and it, it's a full cage deal. So even if we took a fucking tumble at 80 miles an hour, we're fine, and we got harnesses <laughs> and PRP race seats. Yeah. So I built that thing to huck it. The let's just pretend. Okay, so Tim, now you know what the what John's idea would be if you had to pick between the three that he gave you. This, you know. I'm going to be, t- I, I don't know the difference between the platforms to be honest with you, but so, if, of those three platforms, what would you do if th- that was your only three options? Uh, my 240, own, 242 or 300? Um, 
Well, he said that he originally, I think it was a 242, and then he could put a new head on it to make it a 300. Mm-hmm. Or the third option was put a 302 in it. Oh, okay. So uh, the 302 is what came in the Broncos. I mean, dude, there are uh, numerous probably, I mean, we could go find a Ford 302 sitting around just about anywhere. Um, actually, I know where one is right now. Uh, it's at DJ's. Um, but uh, that would be a really, really easy conversion. Mm-hmm. And the like, there's so many performance upgrades. You could put a cam in it. You could do aluminum heads. Um, you know, you could do some trick ignition stuff. I mean, there's harnesses. I mean, all of that stuff is readily available. So um, I would just, if it was me personally and I had a, a you know, a two-wheel drive short bed uh, Ford truck two-wheel, you know, that I wanted to cruise and maybe, you know, chop a couple coil springs and lower it a little bit, I would want to have something that I could shift gears in. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but what's nice with that, because it's all original, you can pull the original drivetrain out, put it on the side like I did with my Shelby. Right. And then when I went to sell it, I just put the original drivetrain back in, sold it as an original. So not that he sounds like he wants to sell it. I mean, if it was the car he had in high school and now he has it later in life, mm-hmm. he's probably imagining like, I want my kids to drive it. Sure. But you there's know? like, what I'm coming frustratingly enough to appreciate is having an exit strategy on a vehicle, mm-hmm. right? Like... So why not? Like, what what's that gonna what's that gonna take up? A little bit of space, yeah. You know, and then if you there is one day that, you know, hopefully not, but there's a need to offload it, then yeah, the original parts are gonna be hundred percent. You know, it's it's the same reason my old man never throws a box away. Yeah. So whenever he buys a firearm or anything that he might resell, if he buys it new, he keeps all the packaging mint because there's those guys out there yep. who will pay 20, 40 percent premium over used market price. If it's all original, right? Yeah. And uh, in automobiles, I'd yeah. imagine well, certain it, automobiles, it's like it, you know, it's way it's, beyond that. It's really nice to go um, look at a car, or maybe potentially buy a car, and the guy's like, "Hey, I put this motor in, and I did this and this and this, but here's the original parts to turn it back mm-hmm. to stock." So pretty, pretty interesting. Like, um, and this is just an observation on custom cars. So, like, let's say you go to a place like Joe Martin or you have Jesse James build you a car, West Coast Choppers, or the whole deal, and, you know, the bill comes in at $300,000. Mm-hmm. The ceiling for a custom car is about one hundred and fifty grand. Okay. So, that's about the max anybody will pay because anybody that's going to pay more is going to go build it themselves. Mm-hmm. So, these guys that drop, like, I mean, that, um, any of you guys that watched the, the Iron Resurrection show that I was on, the guy dropped, like, 250000 260000 bucks into that C10, like, that car at best, even if it went to auction and it prominence and the whole deal, it's like a hundred and maybe 125,000. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like that's the custom car market. Um, uh, now if cars are original, like if you have an original 1967 Shelby Mustang GT 500 number 41 or something in in, uh, you know, um, you know, dark blue with a white stripe, like the one that Jim Morrison had with a saddle interior, uh, like if that thing's all original, there is no price tag for that car. Right. But if right. that same car doesn't have the original motor, and I don't care even if it's a bitch and more cooler motor, if it doesn't have the original transmission and the the VIN stamp isn't in the heads and all that, like it, it has a ceiling on resto mod. Mm-hmm. So what's nice, especially for uh, you know a two wheel drive short bed half ton truck, is 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 desirable these days. Um, having the original parts, it like. Somebody might show up and not even give a shit. Right. Or other people will show up and be like, oh man, this is nice to have. Yeah. So insurance policy, right? Yeah. It, it's always good. Like, uh, you know, on the truck that I'm, I'm working on, um, you know, I got to go pick up the painted parts, but it was worth painting it back to the original color because the original color was so valuable. It, it's a, a, a dark carmine red which is like this dark burgundy with white, which is like super coveted. And when I saw the original S, uh, S, SPID, which is the the build sheet in the, in the dash or in the glove compartment, I looked and I was like, oh, fuck, man, this thing was dark carmine red and white. Like that is, uh, for for that truck, that's a really coveted color. So it was worth finding somebody to, to shoot some of the original parts because it was nice. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for like that type of stuff, when you try to sell things or if you have an idea on what you want to do, um, one, it's nice to have the original parts, but people will pay money for something that looks original stock like it came off the showroom floor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you updated the drivetrain, that's okay. But to have the original parts that you can be like, and if you ever wanted to turn it back to completely original, it's right there, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I would recommend. I'd say pull out the original drivetrain, put it on the side, put in whenever you want, have something you can fucking bang gears and uh, enjoy the shit out of it. And if you ever want to sell it, you have the original parts on the side. 
I like it. I think that's a decent episode. Why stop there? You want to double up? You want to do a second question? Let's do another. Let's do another question. Here's one from Fig Newton. Hey, crew. I was going to text this. It's probably going to be long, but I'm driving, so I can't. So, what are... Not valuable. What are some things that you guys used to believe that you now no longer believe? Well, for number one, I used to credit TC as being a relatively intelligent (laughs) individual. Wait, you mean Fig from Newton? Yes, I mean Fig from Newton. (sighs) Continue the question, TC. Should I? And what made you change your mind? It could be strength and conditioning related or it could be life related. I don't really care. <laughs> Bye. Well, seeing as if you don't care, I don't care. Well, then <laughs> let's just shut it down, TC. No, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you, TC, for our loyal listener and um, power our, athlete evangelist, former and, intern. And, you know, home of the Fig Newton, which is weird as he sleeps on a bed of Fig Newtons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, TC's former intern, he does respond well to a little bit of tough love. Would you agree? Do you concur? Yeah, when he well, came to us, sure he was he a wad of cookie dough. And now... He's chiseled out of wet clay. <laughs> no, what's the line like from carved, Fight Club? Chiseled out of wood. Carved out of wood. Out of wood. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's might it. be chiseled. Is no, it carved? it's carved out it's of carved. wood. Um, Which is funny. Like, I'm always like, carved out of wood. There's so many better being like poured out of concrete, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, hammered into steel, but carved into wood. You get what you get. Ladies and gentlemen. Not so this is all of our fresh... All of our jokes with TC are in... Just yes, but great question, great question because I think that is like, um, you know, every once in a while, a inspirational meme or quote will float across Instagram that kind of resonates with me. And one of those, one that floated around, or maybe Harry Shaw sent it to me, is like, um, I'm going to butcher it, but something about like, uh, you know, if if someone comes up to you is like, man, you've changed. Like the response is kind of like, well, that's the point, right? Because over time. We learn things, evolve, move on, and carry, bring on new beliefs, right? So that's what I think is pretty interesting here. And I know this has been asked previously, John, uh, in one of the within the training paradigm, and it was years ago. One of the things was like the the role of cardio mm. in in training a power athlete. That you know there was a period where it was like ah, cardio is just a waste of time. But then you know in our training and experimentation, there's a, certainly a place for it for certain people, right? Yeah. And it's well, all. I, I always thought cardio was just a way to burn calories to get you in caloric deficit. I didn't right. think it did anything uh, outside of that function. But all of a sudden, we did a bunch of stuff with aerobic base, and yeah. you know, uh, realized that a an efficient, high, uh, big and broad aerobic base just puts everything up on a higher pedestal. So that was mm-hmm. um, that was definitely something that I fought against and didn't believe in mm-hmm. until I took the challenge and. Yeah. Basically, they made a huge 180 on that one. So, with that said, what's coming to mind now with TC's question, big guy? Uh, I got three of them. One, which is pretty interesting. Um, I remember, uh, like, the first time I'd really ever heard the term steroids was, um, like, when I was probably in, like, middle school or whatever. And actually, the first one kind of plays into the second one. So, we, uh, in 1989, I, I went to a USC football game. It was against the Washington or University of Washington. And there was a guy named uh, Steve Etman who was like, uh, like first round draft pick, like absolutely dominated this fucking deal. Mm-hmm. And um, I went with a buddy, uh, or I went with my dad and like an, another guy that I played football with later on. And like, I remember, I just remember we went and he was there. And I can't necessarily remember uh, how the whole thing went, but we went. And I just remember, like, Edmund was out there. He was, like, a big, strong dude. And, I, and, like, the SC dudes were all fucking massive. And we're in the stands. And I just heard people being like, oh, those guys are all on steroids. Like, I didn't know what steroids were. And I had seen, like, the Tony Mandarich cover. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the Incredible Bulk. Mm-mm. So, like, no. th- that no. was another big one. And um, I remember seeing the cover of Sports Illustrated. And we actually, uh, we got tickets to... Uh, a Raiders game to go see Green Bay play because my brother wanted to go like we'd seen this Tony Mandarich and we're like, dude, we got to go see this guy. He was like cover SI, like he was a fucking beast. Pretty awful NFL player. But um, 
what kind of made me think a little bit about it was uh, there was this kind of idea that like, you know, there was something like Captain America that you can magically take something that instantly makes you a player. You know, you're just this mere mortal. All of a sudden they give you the, uh, uh, you know, Avenger serum and next thing you know, you're this, you know, superhuman character. And I think that there was always this idea that, um, you know, like there was muscles in a bottle that like, you know, secretly you just take this stuff and you become this better version. And uh, like, I think that that's, uh, there's a lot of falsehood in that uh, because it still requires a lot of hard work and whatnot. So it was just pretty interesting. Like whenever you see, and I, I'm sure you see it on Instagram or whatnot, these bodybuilders who obviously take drugs, but like people are so quick to be like, oh, it's all drugs. And you're like, well, just by saying that you're discounting their hard work, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they could have attained yeah, without what, it. Without it, but like you can't negate the work that they've done to get where they are. Yeah, it doesn't displace the work, right? It yeah. just kind of like augments it a yeah. little bit. And, 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 and like, uh, like and, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of dudes out there that are taking drugs that you would look at that were never, that you never thought were taking drugs. Right. Yeah. And they'd be embarrassed to say they were because one, they don't train hard, they haven't done it. Or they think, oh, well, obviously I'm not taking as much as that person. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a pretty fascinating deal and it's a really easy uh, deal. Like, Paul Carter is like, man, he's like the amount of people that like, uh, you know, I'll talk to you about diet, like, well, you're on drugs. And he's like, dude, like, like, uh, you know, this is what I looked like before I ever took anything. And it's just pretty interesting that it's become this, this kind of catch all for people to just assume that the reason that they haven't attained what they thought they could mm-hmm. was because of just some Captain America stuff. So, um, but what kind of plays into that, and I, and I remember, like, I just remember the, like, people screaming, like, oh, these guys are all on drugs and this. And then last night, ironically, um, Kyle Turley sends me a link to the new, uh, a new article that was in Sports Illustrated that went back and looked at the 89 USC linebacking crew. Oh, so yeah. there were 12 linebackers on uh, the roster for USC that year in 1989. And ironically, man, we went to that Washington game, uh, and I, I remember seeing those guys. Um, you know, Jeff Kopp, who's listened, you know, may potentially, who's a power athlete, block one coach, you know, he knows all these guys. I mean, Kopp played, you know, in, in that era and, um, five out of the 12 dudes are now dead. So like, what is it like? Under 50, right? Yeah. Under 50. Yeah. So I went through all these like different tales and, you know, you guys have heard me talk about my, you know, my other welcome to the NFL moment was with playing against Junior Seau and, uh, later on going to the Pro Bowl. And Junior basically being like, you're hanging with me this week. And uh, absolutely annihilated me for four days. And uh, like to to see what he, like to see what the, I mean, what did he play, like 19 years? To see what happened to him over the course of that 19 years was pretty, pretty disturbing. But like reading all these accounts of these guys who, uh, other than Junior, didn't really play in the NFL. Didn't play, you know, played in college. Like, uh, so... You know, and then as I'm going through the article, they're like blaming it on like the painkillers or blaming it on the hits or blaming it on steroids or blaming it on the alcohol. They're blaming it on all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's always been a pretty interesting uh, observation that, you know, I mean, the game is a vicious game. And uh, like it's kind of interesting, like at least for me, it's somewhat surreal is to read about this stuff and uh, like, you know, the trials and the tribulations and remember these guys and remember them as players and then to have, you know, guys I played with in the NFL. And what's crazy is... Um, Junior is 20. 20 he played 20, yeah. So what's what's amazing is to have guys who, you know, didn't even make it to the NFL have these problems and then play with other guys that played, you know, maybe not as long as Junior, but didn't have the same issues. So it's always come down to, like, what is it... Uh, that pushes people? Is it like a pre-existing condition through a personality? Is it just, is it uh, genetic? Is it duration? Like, uh, do people all process pain differently? Um, is it addictive personality? What it's like? Is it, you know, antisocial behavior at an early age allows you to play football because of a kind of a reckless behavior? Is that, is that it too? Is there a reckless behavior? Is it the concussions? Like, what does it look like? And what's pretty interesting um, when he was asking about things you believe and the things that you don't, when I came in the NFL, uh, they told me that I would know when I got a concussion when I got knocked unconscious. Mm-hmm. So that was how they classified. So they asked you, have you ever had a concussion? I'm like, well, no. I've ne- uh, well, actually one. I've been knocked out one time. Um, I was still moving and playing. I just didn't remember anything. And they're like, well, you had one. So at the end of my NFL career, after year 10, 
they reclassified that. And I remember they went in and uh, you're going through the exams and they ask you how many concussions you'd had. And I hadn't had anybody really ask me that question in a long time. And I was like, well, I've only been knocked out once. And they were like, well, we've reclassified concussions where a concussion is anytime you hit with your head or something happens, you hit your head, whatever it looks like, where you feel disoriented, you hear your bell rung, your eyes go cross-eyed, your vision is blurry, and you feel disoriented. And I was like, so that's how we're defining concussions now. Yeah. And the lady, and uh, it wasn't a lady, but I think the doc was like, well, how many do you think you've had? And I'm like, 70,000? Yeah. I mean, so what, you figure uh, 70 plays every Sunday over 100, you know, over 100 plus games. So then you're looking at what, like seven, 800 right there. And then you look at like practice and training camp. I mean, we were in double days. We went pads, pads, pads off in a rotation for 42 days. So I had hundreds of hits. I mean, thousands, I mean, like unimaginable and unimaginable amount of hits. And I cannot think of too many times when I didn't put my head into somebody where I didn't feel either a ringing disorientation or have to like shake your head to get your eyesight back. Mm -hmm. So why is it that certain people can have that level of, of, you know, a a damage done and not exhibit the same problems that these guys, you know, and then you, that, that doesn't even factor in college that these guys in college that didn't even get a chance to get 10 years in the NFL exhibited these problems and ended up, you know, suicides and drinking themselves to death and all these other problems. So that's always kind of been the riddle of the Sphinx and something I've talked to Inkladon for years. I think, I think a lot of it goes back to like to diet, limiting inflammation, continue to train, um, you know, like, uh, uh, not letting problems linger. So if there's something that you see in the blood work and kind of constant testing, and then also, Maybe it's just luck of the draw. Maybe there's durability, um, painkillers. I mean, all of these factors. But, you know, Kyle forwarded me this. And, um, you know, his comment was cannabis saved my life. I would have been one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So Kyle found a way through the use of cannabis and through his company at um, NeuroXPF to really help himself transition. Because, man, like, t- geez, 10 years ago, or not even, t- yeah, 10 years ago, man, I thought I was going to be reading about Kyle Turley's suicide in Sports right. Illustrated. And he was close. I mean, dude, he was on like every psychotropic drug you could imagine and quit him all cold turkey, went to California, found his strain and has used cannabis and medical marijuana and has saved his life. So like as I'm like looking at these guys and I'm reading this thing, I'm thinking how many players or how many guys that I played with or played against or, you know, somewhere within this brotherhood, um, you know, are dealing with these issues. And, uh, you know, but then it was I made the mistake of clicking on the Sports Illustrated Instagram and then reading the comments. And I think that's what was most hurtful was to read how callous and fucked up people's comments were. Oh, these guys, you know, what did they think they were going to get? They don't deserve it. You know, they don't deserve any better. And uh, I don't feel sorry for them. I hope they all fucking die. And I'm like reading this stuff and I'm like, this is kind of the interesting thing, man. And we've been talking a little bit about this. Um, There's, I believe social media has created uh, a rip in the fabric of humanity in, in a kind of an interesting way. So like before social media or whatnot, like you had a small circle of friends, you had your friends and family and the people around you and like they were your looking glass, they were your mirror. So like how you viewed me, uh, if I was being an asshole, you're like, dude, you're being an asshole. My family, you know, like you had this small circle of individuals where how I view myself is most important, but the people that know me the best and the people that I'm around every day, they should be the ones to you know provide guardrails to be like, hey, you're fucking up. The problem we have now is now we have people that are creating a a false narrative, a false environment. You know, like uh, I was thinking, Nick Corona's girl taking 250 selfie pictures every morning when she woke up to find the perfect bedhead picture. Mm-hmm. Like, so they're creating this. Not his current girl. Yeah, no, it's ex girl. Yeah. So. Uh, creating in this case for whatever reason it flows yeah, over. Yeah. Uh, creating this false reality that you're putting out to the universe mm-hmm. for admiration and approval of people that you've never met, have don't know you, and have no influence on your life other than this median. Mm-hmm. And that's how people are judging their self-worth. Instead of saying the circle around me of people being like, you're fucking up, you're doing bad, or you're doing great, whatever it is, no longer are people using their circle as a reflection because they have this external deal where they're putting out a fabricated reality to a bunch of fucking assholes 
that don't have any vested interest in you as an individual. Mm-hmm. So as I'm reading this thing, I'm like, I, I like didn't want to comment and I, I, I fucking just del- turned it off. But I was like, wanted to write something and be like, man, I hope I never grow as fucking bitter and callous and, and as awful as you are as a human being. You fucking need some self-searching. The fact that you even typed that, whether or not you thought it was funny or you were trolling or whatnot, the fact that even crossed your mind after reading the tales, how terrible this is. I mean, I don't care if they got to play for USC or whatnot, but like these are individuals that had moms and dads and children and wives in this whose fucking lives were destroyed. And the fact that you don't have any empathy or at least any compassion just goes to show how fucking awful social media is because is that the shit that people mm-hmm. would say to that guy's mom to well, his family be like you know what your mm-hmm. son died i don't feel bad for him he got to play at usc he didn't think that something was going to happen fuck him i hope you know he, See, I, he got what he, he deserved i don't disagree with the sentiments but i do disagree with putting social media on a pedestal as the cause and i think what's interesting in that dan carlin thing you shot us over which is very not very related to what you're talking about here john but he described it as you know, we're an analog, we live in an analog system, right? Like our, our political system is analog. Our social structure is analog. And now it's being like overhauled to this digital environment, which is, you know, um, reactive, broad, scalable, all these things that are analog values, like the Dunbar's number and the things that we've responded to uh, psychologically and socially and probably biologically, like as a, as a culture, like they don't, they don't like, they don't talk, you know, they don't, inter- they, they're, they're clearly not interfacing correctly. And, uh, and it, that is an exact um, outcome that would indicate that like there's a glitch in the system. People are like, it's not normal for people to act that way. No, right. It's in, not. in an analog environment, which would be like, you're saying like your community if you were in a community where you're with individuals who contribute to the greater good of everybody, right? And let's say a tribe, no one in their right mind would say that regularly. Like yeah. maybe in a maybe in the heated like emotional debate well, where yeah. let's say you're drunk, you know, like I'm trying to think of times where in your analog environment or your person, your human environment, you've said something you regret, right? Like well, it's usually emotions yeah. are high, maybe there's booze involved, and you're like, fuck. That's kind of harsh. I should have said that, right? Yeah. But people don't think that way because the because, safety of this digital fabric. Yeah, because like nobody's going to come through the phone and punch him in the face, right? So and 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 the the problem is is that because it's just output, there is no input, and like we don't, you know. And then if uh, um, you call somebody on something, well, you're an asshole, and then it's like you know instantly instead of being like yes, uh, there is no fucking Jay and Silent Bob that knock on the door and <laughs> punch you in the face. So like it's um and while I'm not saying it's not I'm not saying it's not a problem I think it's more nuanced and complex than just social media right? well, and I don't know who the bouncer is of social media that's one of the problems right like who's who's ultimately the lifeguard you know let's well, say we're land animals we're not and we've never learned like we've never seen it's like a fucking dog that's never been in water right yeah a dog that's never been in water. It's a land dog. And then you throw it in water. It's not safe out there. You know what I mean? Or like humans who don't know how to swim, like McQuilkin. Well, but that's why you have lifeguards in a whole process to teach you like the best practices of being in the water. And shit well, like but uh, like in the problem though, is that the people that should be most influential, right. Are probably the most efficient, right? Like, uh, um, like I've, I've told you guys for years, like I remember when you were, you know, uh, um, when Ashley got pregnant, I, I know I, I told you, I'm like, hey, believe me, dumber people, less successful people than you yeah, have ever raised Nobel laureates and presidents. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of an interesting observation. But you start realizing how emotionally, mentally, and just like uh, value bankrupt so many people are. And what's amazing is I think like, for the most part, for normal human beings, like I would say people with alternate realities, whatnot, like have a harder time, but most people know what it means to be a good person, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I mean, and it's, you know, and we run into people that, that don't and they blame it on everything from the way they were raised and here and here, but for the most part, like even those people, and I'll say, you know, people that are really, you know, fucked up on the spectrum, know what it means to be a good person and compassion, 
like you know somebody you know uh, hurts themselves or you know you see a car accident and somebody's bleeding you get out like instead of driving by and be like well fuck them for driving mm-hmm. you know like like but that like level of callousness happens on social media every day and people think it's okay it's like shit man like if i see a car accident or i see a car stalled i pull over and see if people need help you know if the car's in traffic i get out i don't pull around and give them the finger i get out and i push the car like like there is a thing of like see something say something and to be a better person like the uh um you know the age old like um you know society will evolve when old men plant trees that they'll never sit under you know like uh like it, you know date trees take 60 to 80 years to 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 fruit but it doesn't mean people don't plant them yeah or benefit from yeah them. just know that you know what the next generation's going to enjoy my labors today and the problem is is that there's no value in that in social media why because it just keeps on going it's always what's current there is no history there is no value in that mm-hmm. and i again there's also i think there's shared like the we we and I, like using a broad brush and if you're not i mean we're complicit in that that issue i'm saying as users of yeah. the tech like sure. tech if if you don't like it doesn't exist if you don't use it you know what i mean sure. like so well, just I mean, by that very nature we not like necessarily us as individuals but as a broad but us population. contributing yeah. we are yeah like i mean for us having it and you know and 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 well, it's not all bad like mm-hmm. like the fact like that we're on this uh, podcast and we're recording yeah. this and we're going to push this out over the internet and we're going to advertise it on social media and let people know like the power of that is amazing and with great power comes great responsibility uh you know which i spider-man stole from spider-man uh but they had to steal with but else. that idea man like that you can touch so many people mm-hmm. in both a positive and a negative way um absolutely blows my mind and at scale and in like unidirectionally which is interesting. Like well, that's like it, the digital. Well, and it's not like we record this podcast 50 times to find the perfect podcast. I mean, we're putting out like a, uh, like a rock, <laughs> like winking. a, uh, like a, you know, a, a first cut, uh, you know, this is, this is the, you know, our unbiased, unabridged, you know, push out into the world from our first, it's not like, uh, you know, we're somehow manufacturing something mm-hmm. that's untrue. Mm-hmm. Well, and John, you were a professional athlete. And you receive feedback in more than one way from your coaches, your teammates, and then the you critics, never, right? Uh, I would never read the paper and, and I would this, never, ever, ever watch TV. Uh, and this yeah. is the point I'm getting at in that you have this opportunity to put out your, in a positive sense of social media opportunity, your art, your words, your creation, your what you're seeing in your vision. And you have the opportunity to then not listen to those that will negative affect you it i understand that it it comes in waves the more followers and popularity you have the more critics are going to find you and attack you and point your finger but you still have the opportunity to listen to those that can provide constructive feedback if you not read the comments or turn comments off but then say john reaches out if i have some beautiful picture of a sunset from last night's lacrosse practice where's the distance but But um, then john texts me and can comment i can take in that versus reading the hate that luke summers posts on my post someone's uh, gotta be that guy (laughs) um you know to quote one of the uh you know the poets of our time taylor swift you know people like to throw with rocks at shiny things you know, from one of her songs, which I always appreciated that line, like the idea that people like to throw rocks at shiny things. Like I, I'm, I'm always amazed too um, when people on social media ask for people's opinion. Like, hey, what do you, you know, like here's me, what do you think of me? And like, I'm like, fuck man, like I don't, I don't, I, I don't value, like it's so hard to value the opinions of people that mm-hmm. don't know you that only get to see one lens. So I think I have a, I'm just going to jump on cause we can go along for this. And I think I have a segue for something in terms of like, not necessarily what I learned, like what I think now that I didn't always think, I guess sure it is. And it has like, I don't remember where we heard this and I know we've talked about it multiple times, but like you're only the star of your movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You know, and, you, every, and like you're no, the villain in somebody else's movie, and you're the fucking extra. Yeah, and no, like even the person that's most important to you, whether it's your spouse or like your parents, like you're not like you're mate, you're you're supporting role. Yeah. You know, like 
and that's not to necessarily have like a, a reductionist attitude on your value to other people. That's not the intent. It's more so to put into check like your impact, the impact you can have on others. And again, it's not, it's not meant to be um, a negative, but it's, it can be a humbling thought is like, you're just, you're, you're just a supporting role on the flip side though. The asshole that you run into at the market who may be, you know, putting on a tirade or like whoever has frustrated you, like these strangers, they're the star of a movie. You know what I mean? Like they have their own life and their own supporting cast. And like you are nothing in that movie and you have no clue what's going on in that plot line. Have have y'all seen Falling Down? Yeah. Michael Uh, Douglas? It's been a while. I do want to (laughs) rewatch that. It's a great movie. I just want to go home. And uh, so like I just... That, that put perspective on it and in terms of like what that means with regards to kind of what we, what we spun into here on the social media thing is like it's dr- like the influence like that people perceive they maybe have or have been able to capture or garner through the platform I think is again an unnatural way to cast a movie you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, so what, where that comes into, I guess, um, in the framework and paradigm of this question is, what do you got? Well, I could play off this sure. theme as well. So uh, I was just going to say is like, uh, it gives, it just provides a new appreciation for like perhaps other people or how you want to position yourself with other folks. And perhaps Trim, who you is not like a valid contributor or things or individuals that are not contributing to your proverbial movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just an interesting way to kind of frame up life, the life that you're living and that others are, you know? So that was a that was something that resonated with me. I can't remember where the fuck we heard that, or I did, but probably on social media. Well, John has <laughs> called you, like, you're everybody's Robin. All of your friends, oh. you Robin? are the sidekick. Excuse me? That's what... Robin? Robin? I'm That's sure one the, of our listeners can find no, the episode. I don't character. think I called him Robin. Hell no. Or the best man at everyone's wedding. Uh, Luke, uh, well, like... Um, Supporting uh, actor. Yeah, no, that's that That was a But line. if there's a superhero Luke is, sidekick, Luke I'm not is, going with Robin. Luke is, that is insulting. Luke is the support, or uh, what was it? like The, um, the Luke's lost like, gymnast? God, no, it's the... Uh, uh, best supporting actor. I was like, Luke's, Luke, Luke is the supporting actor in all of his friends' mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. I want to be, who is, let's think of a sidekick. Like what, what's a buddy cop movie with a sidekick? Like I would be The Rock in Central Intelligence. I was and gonna, all my buddies are Kevin Hart. I was going to say more like uh, 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 Mark Wahlberg and the other guys. I'll take that. But is Mark, I think I'd be Will Ferrell. Who's the supporting role in that? I thought oh, it, Marky Mark's the main character because he faces the conflict with, the, or they both face conflict. Yeah. They both face conflict. Right? Is it shared? It's got. I mean, Eva well, Mendes. It. You're kind of like both, the Eva Mendes in that movie. Uh, well, they take it. <laughs> they both face internal conflict, so it's mm-hmm. difficult to decide who's the number one. Well, what's weird is uh, Texas playing Dirty Mike in the Boys. Mm-hmm. Soup kitchen. Just over there and having a soup kitchen. We're talking about a bunch of hobos with their fingers in your butts. <laughs> <laughs> talking some. What is it? D's listen to some talk radio. Putting some D's, D's and A's. <laughs> listen to talk radio. <laughs> putting some fingers in each other's poopers. <laughs> God damn it! Mm. There, uh, that today, like Sleeper. that movie is Sleeper. is like, uh, yeah, the best. I love that movie. So, text. Then let me hand it off to you and where you're going. Okay, and uh, I, mine are interconnected. The first, I'll I'll take you way back to college, and where hard work and believing that every rep provided you the opportunity to succeed and me truly believing that and then getting frustrated and mad at teammates that didn't share the same views. They were making more social choices in college than sleep, it's game day or practice, whatever the hell. And they were enjoying their experience, realizing it was D3 and none of this matters. And me truly (laughs) believing like we, I feel it's the so, world. I feel so sorry for you. Oh, dude, three-year captain, four-year starter. I and then went on to then coach for three years with that specific team. But mm-hmm. that was the mindset and getting frustrating and getting into legit fist fights in practice in the locker room for people that did not see my way. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a very 
frustrating point. And then I'm excited because next week we have Kristen Neffon to speak on the self-talk. Do you, are, are you looking back and wishing that you had had more fun and maybe not a like been so wrapped around the axle on this? Yes. Yeah. Me too. And realizing because I mean, our, our record reflected our our skill level, even with two all Americans, we could never put it together against the Mm -hmm. competitive teams and, you know, looking internally versus, uh, just realizing the, the social dynamic of man. Yes. It was a fun time. have lifelong friends because of it. But at the same time, all of them, if you ask them now, as much as they, we do love each other, they'll say the exact same thing. Like, yeah, you tried too hard, but my I coaches, wish I, I, or there's an idea of like, I wish I had taken the time to enjoy it. Yeah. I, the, but the coaches would, they were reinforcing my behavior cause they, mm-hmm. they wanted to win. And yeah. I appeared to be that, that hardworking, uh, what, what's the, form of leadership like example lead from the front lead from the front but and then it was my language that i was delivering towards the people was not as Mm um you were motivating constructive oh you mean you were um you were high school football coaching dog cussing people instead of trying to build them up i was bringing texas high school football into a east coast private school boy sport Mm -hmm. and that that type of culture doesn't exist doesn't not exist so i was misappropriating and applying a leadership style yeah that was my only it's the only one i knew unfortunately fell to level my experience but from i i still think like um like when i went to college like we had a good time in college but i think that there was always this feeling like of having to you know do well in school and and to do here you know this and like the idea of like you know this is going to end it's in if i always joke that if i had known i was going to play 10 years in the nfl i probably would have just gone to like arizona state and fucking raged and had a great time and a great college experience but i still do enjoy the fact i went to berkeley and i will never trade that for anything but like my mindset wasn't like hey i just want to go to college to have a good time to get to the nfl like it, I never had the end, but I also wonder if I'd had that mindset, if I would have never gotten to the NFL. So the, it's just it's, kind of an interesting piece. It is. It is interesting. It is difficult. And then this leads to my, my second one, which is in line with the same mindset. And it's that moment in my professional career where you realize like hard work and push and drive and grind as we hear a lot of our strength coaches on the podcast say it's, that fails you. And then in sport, said principle, we know the harder you work, it's going to translate to the field, blah, 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 blah. Can I soften some edges? Can I soften some edges on these things? Go ahead. Keep going. Sure. But the moment that it's it it doesn't work for you professionally, right? what had worked for you, mm-hmm. well, my athletic career is more successful than it should have been looking right. at me, my abilities on paper. But then realizing that what allowed me to succeed athletically, you know, uh, relatively professionally. Nope. Didn't work. Might not. Because here's the thing. It, I think it's, it's all life cycle and appropriation and adaptability. And those are like blah, blah. But so you do need like grind, grind alone, right. As a soul or just hard work alone as this soul, um, lever that you're going to pull to, to thrive and scale and grow, I think does have a shelf life and it's not an all or nothing either. Right. So like, it's not that grinding doesn't work, but at some point it's just not going to be enough. There has to, then skill has to step in. You have to broaden perspective. You're going to have to change something, but no matter what you do, I still think the grind and the hard work is, is a catalyst. It just can't be the full cocktail. You know what I mean? Right. But it, this, the, the problem of the, the internalization mm-hmm. that I faced in college that mm-hmm. still kept in that professional moment where you mm-hmm. realize, and this was at the, and I called John in a moment of frustration with the University of Texas right. internship and the Benny Wiley's. So rather than getting frustrated downward at teammates and like assistant coaches and players, it was upwards towards leadership within that mm-hmm. well, but, uh, um, organization. You're, uh, but so here, here's the interesting kind of mess up in the paradigm. You're assuming that success results from hard work. I, yes, that was the assumption. Well, but 
I can tell you while we hope that's true, for the most part when you start looking at outliers, especially like in professional sports and whatnot, it doesn't become the case. Mm -hmm. Like I've told you guys, I played with dudes that didn't lift weights. Like then they were still out there killing people. I played with dudes that um, didn't, that weren't try hard guys that didn't like, that didn't work, that didn't do this, that were so gifted athletically that they were able to somehow band-aid it to a, to a high level. So I, I, I think there, there comes this like, um, you know, and it's a really, it's a Anglo-Saxon Christian value of like, and it's pretty interesting. I, I saw this discussion, um, over COVID when like, uh, it, it had to do with like the black lives matter and the deal was coming in. And I heard somebody say, um, the paradigm based on this country, which is this idea of like hard work results in success, uh, is this, you know, white Anglo Christian Saxon value of like, you know, from the Puritans and like, they went through this whole thing, which I did not, I mean, I agree with them in terms of like that. Those are, good values to have, whereas they were tinting them as bad values to have, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't expect good things to happen because you work. And I remember thinking, well, that's a fucking awful way to raise people or, or to, you know, you should always, and whether or not it's a carrot or whatnot, but the idea of like, you get in what you put in. If you work hard, you will be successful. Uh, now, is that true across the board? No, because some people just have greater advantages. Like if your dad's a billionaire, I'm pretty sure there's a good chance that you're going to have some money in your pocket too, unless, you know, it's, uh, um, uh, you know, who's at Hearst who basically left nothing to anybody. So, uh, I think the idea of like, you get what you put in comes from kind of a weight room kind of situation where, you know, we like to work with people that lift weights. I mean, we, you know, we talk about performance training and doing this, the people that are attracted to something like power athlete in the training and all this are following within that same value space of if I work hard, I will get what I want, whether it be physically, athletically, emotionally, whatever, that there is a receipt, uh, there's a, a process for this stuff to happen. The problem is there's a lot of people that don't believe that. And we've seen outliers where it doesn't matter. There's people that are like, well, it, it regardless of how hard I work, I'm never going to get ahead. So I'm just not going to do anything which to me is an awful, awful existence because we've seen it disproved time and time and time again. But that is something that's kind of permeating into our culture. And with that, it's realizing the ebb and flow and the importance of where, like the, I had Benny, Benny Wiley and Mad Dog up top and then I've since had conversations with them after, I mean, it's been seven years. And them, uh, one remembering me, the other, not at all. So it's like, all right, just spent however many hours who, with you. Uh, who were, uh, Mad Dog didn't remember you? Irrelevant. Anyway, the... Well, it's because the only thing Mad Dog can remember is where his uh, next meal is coming from. <laughs> anyway, it's the, it's the realization professionally of playing the game versus finding the, the mentor, finding the people that will put you in a position and seek the best of you. So that was the, the moment of realization where it's, this is just the way it is. No, I'm not going to accept the way this is. I'm going to find people. I'm going to find situations. I'm going to create opportunities where they want to take you with them to the next level or give you everything they have so that you can be more than them. There are types of people that exist out there versus just playing the game. That That's how you were... I mean, that's how it is fed and told within the strength and conditioning industry. And the everyone that I talked to up until a moment of realization was saying one thing until you just look outside the paradigm and stop and find your own way within this organization, like or mm-hmm. within the uh, industry or whatever it is you're passionate for. So, and it's not getting frustrated and not turning it to take a trip to negative town. Um, which again, referencing, um, looking forward to our podcast with mm-hmm. Neff to then deep dive the understanding of internalizing frustration versus speaking appropriately to one yourself and to leadership others, leading up, leading down, and the words you use that then put you in a position to everybody to succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna snag it and go more technical. 
and I think John that'll lead into your last one is so my one thing that I've changed perspective on over the past couple of years is just pain and stiffness mm. and like mobility in these things and um, blaming muscles I guess you know like oh my my glutes really tight my hamstrings are tight and we get these we because we and I know I've changed perspective on this because we get this frequently in like our, our emails hey you know my hamstrings are really tight I can't do a dead bug well well maybe and one thing that Xanis our block one coach and you know kind of like a, a leader in the PT cohort of yeah, our group of kind of a shaman physical therapist um, you know one thing he said to me in working with him over the past man few months is muscles are dumb like muscles don't get sore and muscles don't get tight like it's not the muscles fault it's the nervous system yeah. and and the role that the nervous system has on pain and stiffness and uh, like just a case in point is I like whatever's going on I got some foot and whatever Xanis has talked about in previous foot episodes like that my, my patterning for spiraling and knee flexion hip and hip flexion is it, I have some compensation pattern that like overloads the glute and Aunt Lo would call it tight assitis <laughs> But like my glutes are can get so fucking tight that it feels like oh I just need to roll these out to loosen them up. I've been telling you for years you're a tight ass. Hey John, we're in a safe space. But so what do you do? Right text makes you guys don't say that. The uh, do you? Is it behind my back? The The stick is tightly firm up his ass. Yeah. Hockey stick or like I always wonder what kind of stick is up uh, an ass. Is it like, like a like maybe like a three inch diameter? Like a big like kind of like more so like something a, pretty small? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a log? Yeah. Um, no resistance. <laughs> but uh, so like what had, an example of this was at the symposium. I was on my feet. I had just bought new shoes and they were not broken in and on, on the, my feet for 18 hours yeah you know and like my yeah but they were ballet shoes so they cute john they did they have bows but my fucking glutes were on fire and my back was i'm like i need to stretch out you know and i'm think i'm rolling i'm using the thump thing i'm like doing the pigeon stretch and then aunt low kind of he's just like do a couple squats like this and it like instantly loosened up like i'm talking instantly 20 seconds later two reps later everything was gone it was back to normal. And then standing again, guess what happened? Lit up again. Same thing with Xanis on some of his stuff. If you follow him on Rooted in Movement, like doing certain type of single leg unilateral, like deep squats, everything just loosens up. I didn't roll it out. I didn't stretch it. But range of motion is instantly changed. Uh, Dana Santis also has that uh, information with like baseball players and tight shoulders. Do some breathing, everything loosens up. So you calm the nervous system, you improve range of motion. You didn't stretch, you didn't even touch the muscles. It's just calming down that CNS. So that is that was a big shift, uh, paradigm shift for me in thinking like, you know, you gotta roll things out, massage things, chiropractic, which all these things can help, but it's not because they're doing anything to the muscle. It's because they're interfering with the nervous system. And sure. I know Adrian Lowe, was on episodes and episodes ago when we he was talking about this, but it just didn't quite understand it until I experienced it. Well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, Craig Bueller's deal. You know, oh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, like muscle inhibition based on the nervous system and then basically clearing the the block and, you know, like allowing the nervous system to reach. I mean, uh, I just talked to Tom Inkledon and he's got a, a guy that does like a, a similar deal to Bueller, but instead of like muscles he uses like the, like the cranium and it's like kind of a roadmap. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, there's a lot of, interesting pieces where people are kind of attacking this from different ways but i think it all goes back to you know you you know the central nervous system which very well might be part of the thing that we're running into with like the, you know con- this concussion mm-hmm. deal and on that too with yeah. with pain and that type of suffering is like what uh, also rpr cal deets and yeah. jl talking about like the emotional and psychological well, components that's, that have nothing to do with like yeah. using your body, but just the stresses of life that's that can exacerbate, yeah. yeah, exacerbate pain, stiffness, tightness. <clears throat> it's so like 
man, the complexity is a pain, I guess, is like, it's not as simple well, as people will make it out to be. The problem is, is pain is relative. Mm-hmm. Like what's painful to you might not be painful to another person. Something that is unbearable to you doesn't fit within their compensation pattern. Or maybe it's something that goes down. Like it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Like somebody could have the exact same knee injury and need to get their knee replaced and other people are fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like you the know? copers. Yeah. And- like, so then you have copers and this, it's pretty amazing. And I, and what I appreciate is when pr- practitioners, like whether it be an Antlow, a Bueller, or a Xanus, like I just have a whole bunch of tools in the toolbox and I'm going to keep throwing and using them. We're going to try this and this and this until they find what works. What I get nervous is when people are like, oh, this is exactly it. Yep. Which is like when you go see the orthopedist. And here's how it works. Oh, uh, your knee hurts? Well, I'm just going to replace Like It's like, yo, man, like it's much more complicated than replacing a motor in a truck. Uh, it's a lot more complicated than just rotating the tires. You're talking about like a highly... Um, you know, complex system that has a whole bunch of things that we pretty much didn't exist. I mean, think like, go look at the research on fascia. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist 10 years ago. And now they're realizing that like when you strip away the skin and you see the fascia, like the way the body is connected, it's like seven, it looks like seven different kind of quadrants areas. So mm-hmm. um, we are learning at a higher rate. And I think it's because people are attacking this thing from different ways and they're all kind of working towards the center. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was it. And I guess one thing uh, I'll share is when, remember when we went to that thing for the D10 and Lanny Napier, Lanny Napier spoke? Yeah. yeah. Remember that dude? Um, I I don't know. Maybe this will help somebody out there if they hear it is like, so this dude's like a pretty successful entrepreneur has now stood up this like VC thing. And like he pulled back the curtains. He's like, I'm going to let you know that most of the successful companies I invest in, they have no clue what they're doing. No one has no clue what they're doing. So like if you're a young, struggling entrepreneur, gym owner, and you're looking at like a, a a neighboring business or other successful businesses, like they don't know what they're doing. Everybody has that sensation. That feeling is totally normal. And I guess at the, up until that point, you know, you look at kind of exemplars and paragons of industry or like um, people who are out there kind of spreading life lessons and here's how I did it. Like they, ha- they feel that way too regularly. And there's something like you just realize you're just in the company of other people doing cool things. So that was something that changed my perspective a little bit. Nice. But, uh, and then you got creatine, John? Yeah. Um, to go against what Fig from Newton said, uh, I have <laughs> not changed my stance on creatine since I started taking it in 1990. And even though we've had people be like, oh, it causes hamstring pulls and this and all the other stuff. The research is supporting today what I said when I was 14 years old. I'm going to take creatine for the rest of my life. And I've been, I believe, the longest creatine user. Five grams in the morning, or five, sorry, five milligrams. Is that the way it works? Like one teaspoon. One teaspoon in the morning, one teaspoon at night. <laughs> uh, don't overtake it. I did that once. Um, but I really think that maybe like it's a cumulative effect. As I was reading through this concussion thing, like I would love to be able to go and do the forensic and being like, okay, like when was the first hit? How much did they drink? Like what drugs were they given? What did their food look like? Jeez, how how yeah. are the, you know, like all of these factors, because I think if you can start tying together like, uh, you know, commonalities, you can start eliminating things and yep. you can start kind of pushing this down and figuring out why some people come out the meat grinder fine and other people come out with a fucking, you know, trying to brush their teeth with a 45. But yeah, creatine, have not changed my stance. 1990, I'm still on that one fig. So when you were in high school sports, like what was the stance on creatine? I just remember a lot of the drops, but my Katie Taylor high school football, we just jumped straight to steroids. But my class never got on that train. So, but like, I can't imagine high school kids. So I remember, so we had steroids talks and like from our AD every year. And I, there was like, I was afraid to sniff beer in high school. So I like, there was no way I was straight and narrow as straight well, as stuff's can. expensive. Like where's a kid going to get that fucking money? Dude, I don't well, know. But I my por- definitely told the story of where seniors sold a kid in my class, peanut oil and he was ejected into his ass for however long until oh like he had fucking serious problems. But my point being, uh, so uh, irrespective Jesus. of the steroids thing, uh, creatine was consider like, on the ban list from our coaches yeah, it was cons- as if it were yeah. steroids yep. in in the Midwest. Yep. I remember that it was very, very controversial. I totally forgot that until a buddy of mine reminded me. Um, how, 
Well, the, I forgot that era existed. That, that, was, around the, existed. Well, that was around the Mark McGuire time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, don't you remember? I'm taking Androstein, and he had it in his locker. He wasn't taking Androstein. <laughs> He's taking handfuls of Dianabol. Mm. So it's the age old, like, I'm not going to admit to this, but I'm going to admit to this. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's kind of like uh, I had a dude hit me up. Um, he's a fucking douchebag. Uh, I'm not going to name his name, but, uh, told me that he messed up his hormones because he was taking Androstein. And so because of that, he had to start taking steroids mm. to get things back. And I was like, I was like, okay. first of all, you've, you've qualified yourself as a moron, uh, for over a decade that I've been involved with you so much so that I blocked him in everything. Cause I can't stand the virtue signaling and the moronic nature of these individuals. Mm, that'll happen. Anything else text? Do you have any other ones? Time constraint. Fig, call again, and we'll we'll tear you up. Dive some other questions. Yeah. yeah. How to fix your AC in your car? All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode. This AC. one is a bit above uh, the, what we were expecting. Regardless, we're here to inform and share and help. So call the helpline if you need help. Nine two nine four six four four six four zero nine two nine ing ing zero. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. We love you. Leave us a review. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!